Well, we began last week looking at James chapter 1, verse 1, an introduction to uh, the book of James. We came to James from uh, Genesis as we walked through Genesis 12 through chapter 25. And I think it's a great compliment coming from Genesis, the life of Abraham, who walked by faith, who had to walk by faith and not by sight, to the very practical book of James, which shows us what it means to live by faith. It shows us what it means to live by faith, loving God and loving others. Um, So... Follow along with me as I read just these few verses of James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come together to hear your word read and proclaimed, we pray that you would minister to our hearts, that you would feed us by your word, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, working through your word, you would convict us of sin, that we would turn away from it, that you would change our thinking, our perspective concerning this life and the trials that we face, that you would grow us in holiness that you would grow us into the image of Christ for your glory. That you would not only cause us to grow, but you would cause us to have an an outward mind towards those who don't trust in you. That we would be consistently seeking to draw others and lead them to Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. I want you to fix in your mind this this scene. I'm not going to give you many details, but it will give you enough to imagine it. A young boy, his face red with tears in his eyes, struggling to break free. There's a man over twice his size, many times his strength, who is restraining him. And then beside this boy and this man, there's another man standing by passively, it seems, not doing anything. Doing nothing to help. It's very sparse uh, details, I know. But from those details, from these very few details, you probably immediately think it sounds like an assault of some sort. Something we would read in uh, the crime section of the newspaper. He needs a rescuer. He needs to get out of that situation as quickly as possible. He needs to escape. But then what if I I gave you a little more detail to the the story, some outside information? What if I told you that the man wasn't a captor, but a father? And what if I told you that the boy was his son who was seriously sick and in need of medicine immediately or he would die? And the man standing seemingly passively by is his doctor who has that medicine. He's ready to administer it as soon as the father could stabilize the boy. Now that's the same scene from two different perspectives, from two different lenses. It helps to have a little bit of perspective sometimes on life. And that's what these few verses from James give us. They give us 
some perspective on our sufferings, on our trials. Now, it's not that there's an exact parallel between that brief example and our situation, but one thing is for sure. How you understand a particular situation goes a long way in helping you to know how to respond to it. And this is true of our suffering, for the trials that we face, for the difficulties we encounter in this life. If we only see things from our perspective, we will respond to trials kicking and screaming against God. But if we are able to see them from a heavenly perspective, then God's grace, even in the difficulty, even when it's not easy, we will patiently trust Him as He works in and through even the worst circumstances we face. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In this passage, James commands believers to consider it joy when they face trials because of their knowledge that God is working in the midst of those trials to grow them into spiritual maturity. So this is not, however, some simple platitude to be spoken insensitively to one who's undergoing a trial. Rather, it reminds us there is much more going on in our trials than meets the eye. We need a heavenly perspective to see that God is working. And this heavenly perspective will lead us to respond with joy, with knowledge, with patience, and with trust in God. And though this response going through trials is pleasing to God, ultimately it's not our suffering which earns us favor with God, rather... It's the joyful, patient obedience of the suffering of Christ which makes us acceptable before God. Now walk with me through this passage for a moment. James jumps right in without any hesitation. He skips over what we might think of as a usual greeting, giving thanks or uh, recognition for the people that he's, uh, to whom he's writing. And it, he gets straight to the issues. And it's possible that by putting up This discussion of trials right here at the beginning, James is indicating this is one of the main reasons he's writing. Remember last week we saw that he is writing to Jewish Christians who'd spread out over the region to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, he says. He's writing to these Christians who have been spread out probably because of poverty or persecution. They've been spread out in the region. They would be well acquainted with various kinds of trials and difficulties. And his command to them is consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Now, notice James uh, carefully uses his words. He says, consider it joy. This is a command directed towards uh, the mind, not towards the emotions. It's not be happy about your trials. It's not uh, be happy that you're going through this difficulty. It's consider it, count it, place this in the category of joy but he doesn't just say joy he says pure joy and there are a few different ways this is translated Uh, consider your translation Uh, consider it great joy possibly consider it pure joy and several translations say consider it all joy but the main point here, here is the quality of your joy the character of your joy what i mean is james isn't saying 
Consider everything joy. Consider all things joy. Uh, No, he has a specific instance in mind. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. He's addressing Christians, as we can tell from the terms brothers and sisters. My brothers and sisters, a a familiar, uh, familial term of brothers and sisters. And he has a broad application in mind. Perhaps one of the most common trials amongst James readers would have been poverty. But he doesn't single out one trial, and I actually think that's quite genius of James, to not single out one particular or two particular trials. If I were to preach a sermon today about, let's say, the trials of sickness, since that's dear to my heart, since I'm suffering this cold, uh, some of you might be really affected by that. Maybe you're going through some sickness. Maybe you have a family member who is going through a very difficult time of sickness. You'd be affected by that. But perhaps many of you wouldn't really think that that applies to you. You're not going through that trial currently. You're not facing that. And when James mentions trials of many kinds, whenever you go through trials of many kinds, each of his listeners, what did you do when when I said trials of many kinds? Your mind turned to the very trials that you are facing. I think James does that on purpose. Poverty, sickness, bereavement, disappointment, loneliness, broken relationships an emotionally unhealthy workplace. He means all those and more. All kinds of different trials. Consider it joy when you face these difficulties. And thankfully, James gives gives us a reason for this command. Verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, some of your translations have the word endurance or steadfastness. The idea is that of remaining under or carrying a heavy load for a long time. In the physical realm, endurance or perseverance is what you need if you're running a marathon. Or for some of us, just a couple of miles. We need endurance. It's what you need when you're doing manual labor. You have to push through pain and exhaustion. You have to keep going when you feel like stopping. Or if you're, it could apply to an office setting as well. You, you, have emotional, you have to have emotional and mental perseverance to continue pushing through, to keep going and completing the task. And James says that this perseverance is a product of the testing of our faith. His logic is like this. When you go through trials of various kinds, your faith is being tested. And as a result of your faith being tested, God is adding to you the virtue of perseverance. Now, the testing here, it seems to me, is not like a testing to see if something is really there. I think James is assuming that these that he's writing to, there is a genuine faith there, and they have it. What he's saying by the testing of the, the, this testing of your faith, rather, refers to it being tempered and refined. As the commentator Simon Kistmaker says, as the goldsmith removes impurities that are foreign to the metal, so God purifies the believer's faith from sin. But we also notice that this perseverance isn't in itself the end goal. James goes on and gives another command in verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
God's end goal for his people is not simply that they would have perseverance, but that we would be whole, that we would be complete, that we would be moved and molded into perfection. And that's what he's doing through these trials. And this requires, James says, us letting perseverance do its work. Let its work come to completion. Let this work have its perfect result so that the end result would take place. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James puts this both positively and negatively. He puts it positively, perfect and complete, so that you would be uh, mature, complete. But then he also makes it, uh, puts it negatively, lacking in nothing. That you would have everything you need for life and godliness. So in these verses, James wants to change our perspective. He wants to take the video camera that is on us in our trials and move it around to a different perspective to show us what he's doing so that we see trials from a heavenly perspective. And when we do that, we will be able to respond in a totally different way. And that's what I want us to focus on for the remainder of our time. The Christian's response to trials. How are we to respond when various trials come? Each one of you is either in a trial, you've recently come out of a trial, or you are about to face a trial. Or maybe you don't want to put it that harshly. You're going through some difficulties, some challenges. But as as we already saw, James is applying this to various kinds of trials. Well, how are you responding? How are you responding in your trials? How should you respond in light of God's divine purposes for his people? So from our text, let me give you four aspects of the Christian's response to trials. Four aspects of the Christian's response to trials. I'll give them to you all at once, and then we'll take them one by one. So the Christian's response to trials must be one of joy, of knowledge, of patience and of trust must be one of joy knowledge patience and trust so the first aspect is joy the christian's response to trials must be one of joy james says to consider it joy when you face various trials now as i've said this doesn't mean you're commanded to be happy about your trials that's not only contrary contrary to how we typically respond I think it's probably impossible, humanly impossible, to be happy you're going through suffering. I don't think God designed us that way. And if we think about it, that's not how Jesus responded to trials either. You remember how Jesus responded when he came to Mary and Martha after the brother had died. He didn't run up to them and say, What are you crying about? Rejoice in your sufferings. Be happy about this. Now, what did he do? He came alongside of them. He comforted them. He wept with them. And we know that, as Hebrews 4.15 says, Jesus has been tempted as we are in every way, yet without sin. Everything Jesus did, he did without sin. So we gain from this that it's possible to cry, to weep, and at the same time, consider it joy. It's possible to mourn and grieve And yet at the same time, consider it joy. These are not in opposition to one another. So what does it mean then to consider it joy when you go through trials? 
It's not a change in the circumstances itself. It's a change of your understanding of the circumstances. A change of your perspective of them. As R.C. Sproul puts it, we are to consider what we are going through as a matter of joy, not because the thing in itself is something that is pleasurable, but because tribulation works patience within us. There is at least one good thing happening to us in the midst of our pain and suffering. We are therefore called to think about our circumstances in that light. Now consider your various trials. Perhaps one is weighing on you more than the others. From the greatest to the least, though, maybe think of those that that seem minor to you. From a death in the family to the afternoon traffic jam, from terminal cancer to a little cold, or to being made fun of at school, to scraping the bottom of the barrel of your bank account, All of these trials, consider these trials, and how have you responded to them? How have you perceived them? Perhaps doubting God's goodness and love for you? Anger and resentment, bitterness and complaining against God? And we should take stock of this because the way that we respond in trials reveals something about ourselves. For instance... Rush hour traffic reveals nothing that wasn't already there in the first place. It's simply revealing what is there. Our response in the midst of trials reveals what's there. James says, consider it joy, my brothers and sisters. But this joy is based on knowledge, and that's the second aspect of our response to trials. Aspect two is knowledge. The Christian's response to trials must be one of knowledge. Because you know, he says, that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It's our knowledge of what God is doing in the midst of our trials that enables us to consider it joy. Trials have a divine design. Perseverance is a virtue which God wants to cultivate in our lives. And he uses difficulties to do it. And so that's why we must respond to our trials with knowledge. If you're like me, you're so tempted to jump right in and respond with emotion. I mean, that's the human thing to do. And that's okay to do that. But by this, I mean, we tend to ask immediately, why are you, with an accusatory tone, mind you, why are you doing this to me, God? Why would you allow this to happen to me? But I think when we ask those questions with an accusatory tone towards God, what we're inadvertently doing is showing that we think we are basically fine, that we, we think we're basically good, that we, uh, we think that we came into the world as basically good and okay people. But the truth is that we entered into the world as broken sinners. We entered into the world with brokenness, and we've experienced brokenness every day of our lives. And what God is doing in our trials, brothers and sisters, is putting us back together. And sometimes that can be very painful. But if we have this knowledge that God is doing something in the trial, we can consider it joy. One of the biggest challenges that you face in your trials, probably, is having the ability to stop and think. Because you're so wrapped up in the difficulties of the trials, in the, 
in the confusion, in the pain, in the suffering. It's so difficult to just stop and think, to think with a heavenly perspective on the trial. We know that God is sovereign. We know that He is good. We know that the testing of our faith produces endurance. We know that good will come from this ultimately. We must battle discontentment in trials with knowledge. The knowledge of who God is and the truths that He gives us in His Word. We must battle discontentment in trials with the knowledge that God has designed our trials for good. And when we respond to trials in that way with knowledge, we will be ready to respond to trials also with patience. Patience, aspect three of the Christian's response to trials. The Christian response to trials must be one of patience. Verse four, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The first command James gives is active, consider it joy, but this one is uh, passive. Let perseverance finish its work. In other words, don't interrupt perseverance in what it's doing. Don't short-circuit the process through which God is growing you. The message paraphrase of the Bible says, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed not deficient in any way. Now don't get the wrong idea here. James isn't saying that it's wrong to try and get out of a trial. That would be foolish. Um, It's okay to take an alternate route if you want to avoid some traffic. It is right and good to take treatment and medicine, which will save your life. Uh, We don't enjoy suffering. We don't try and find trials so that we can go through them. That's not what James means. If there's a reasonable way to get out of a trial, then prayerfully and with wisdom, try and get out of it. But in the meantime, until the Lord provides a way out of it, patiently wait on Him. Patiently wait on the Lord and allow Him to do His work in you. We often think, and this is my, my way of thinking, how can I spend, uh, spend all of my time thinking of ways to get out of it, but if we're constantly trying to simply escape our trials, that's all we'll do our entire lives. Right? We'll escape one trial and then we'll come under another. We'll escape that one and come under another. And we don't grow. Our whole goal begins to avoid difficulty and pain. And we won't develop perseverance. We won't grow into maturity and completion, lacking in nothing. You see, God's ultimate goal isn't just perseverance. His ultimate goal is that we would become mature and complete. That we would become spiritually mature. In other words, that we would become like Christ. That's what God's doing in our trials. He is making us like Jesus. He's smoothing away the rough corners of our sin. He is shaving off those edges. He's adding a virtue here of perseverance. He's adding a virtue here. It's the idea of stripping away that which is impure and adding virtues for His glory. The picture we get here, ultimately, is not just of random trials happening to us, 
by chance, just because the world's spinning around and God's let things go just the way that they will. The picture we get here is one of a good and sovereign Heavenly Father. Now, if we just isolate these couple of verses, these few verses, God isn't mentioned in in these three verses explicitly, but He's definitely there. And that's kind of like our trials. Sometimes it feels like God is not there. He's not explicitly there, but be assured He is there and He is working. He's working with a grand purpose in mind, and so we can trust Him. We can trust our Heavenly Father, who is sovereignly working all things together for the good of His people and for His own glory. And this is the, the fourth aspect of how we ought to respond to trials. Trust. The Christian's response to trials must be one of trust. Notice again who it is that James is addressing in these verses. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Now I've mentioned that he's addressing Christians. Uh, They call each other, and we call each other often, brothers and sisters. My brother in Christ, my sister in Christ. But we're not meaning by that that we're simply Christians, that we're simply um, believers in Christ. We mean a certain thing by that. And James means a certain thing by that. Meaning we are spiritually related to one another. We are together in the family of God. Those who are in Christ have been brought into God's family. So we share our faith in Christ. We share our hope in the resurrection. And we share a heavenly Father who is working for our good. But This is only true of those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who have been brought into the family through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, it was Jesus Christ, the true Son of God, who came into this world and showed us what it means to consider it joy in the midst of trials. He shows us what it means to let perseverance complete its work. But he didn't just show, show us how to do it, to be an example to us. He did it to rescue us from our sins. Turn over in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 5. So just turn back towards the front a few pages. Hebrews 5 verses 7 through 9. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, verse 7 of chapter 5, He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We can rejoice in our suffering Not because we're earning God's favor by doing it well, by responding in the right way, but because Christ earned us God's favor by His own suffering, by His death on the cross, by His resurrection from the dead. We are rescued from our sins, not when we trust in our own strength to get through the difficulties of this life, but when we trust in Christ who endured the pain of this world And also the wrath of God for our sake. So before you can even begin to consider it trials, 
Consider it joy when you're in trials. Before you'll be enabled to do that, first you must trust the one who endured trials for our sake. Have you responded to that call of faith in Christ? To lay down your own life, your own self, and submit it to Him in faith? If not, the invitation is here for you now. Turn away from your sins and cling in faith to Christ who will save you from your sins, who will forgive you. And when you do, you will find joy in the midst of your trials. Not because you will have fewer trials. Not because the outward circumstances get any easier. But because you will be welcomed into the family of God. And you have brothers and sisters in Christ. And you will understand that every difficulty you face is being worked by God for your good. And you will realize you can trust Him. Now imagine the seriously sick boy at the beginning of our sermon. What if he understood everything that was going on in that situation? That he needed the medicine desperately or he would die. If he responded in patience and in trust, knowing that his father was doing what was best for him, what would he do? Well, perhaps he would take his hand and place it in his father's hand. And willingly go along, even though he knew it wouldn't be easy, even though he knew it might be painful, he would take his hand and place it in his father's hand and follow him. And when we understand that the entire context of our trials in this life is that we are brothers and sisters with a good heavenly Father whom we can trust. When we understand that God's fatherly hand is behind every trial for our good, when we trust Him, we're doing exactly that. We're placing our hand in the Father's hand. And we're saying, lead me. It's not that we think it will be easy. It's not that we think it, it won't be painful. It's, it's because we know we have a good and powerful and sovereign God who is also our Father. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, it's entirely possible for us to understand this with our minds and yet not receive it into our hearts. It's entirely possible for us to intellectually receive us and yet receive this and yet respond still in bitterness and in anger. And we know that this is only a work of your spirit by which we can respond to trials with joy, with knowledge, with patience, and with trust. And so we pray that just as you did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all. We ask humbly that you would also give to us with him the strength to endure difficulties, the strength to have a heavenly perspective on our trials, that we might respond in a way that pleases you. Not only so that we would let perseverance have its work, not only so that we would grow and become mature and complete, but also so that others who see us go through trials would see our faith in you. 
and would also glorify you and come to faith in Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.